I wonder if you have noticed how essential, how utterly basic hope is. Hope uh, is to believe something positive about the future. Hope says things might be better. Things will be better. It's very easy to look around in the world and lose hope. In fact, there's a whole class of philosophers who, just because they're sort of honest about what the world is like, decide that hope is really not possible. That in order to hope, we have to basically lie to ourselves. That hope is something like a form of denial. I guess I think that if not for Christ, I'd probably be in that class. But hope is essential. A person who really completely loses hope will become suicidal. As most of the philosophers in the class I mentioned became. Because they lost hope, there's no reason to go on. And so if you're life become, uh, you know, obtains a certain level of misery, then you'll just end it. Because there's no hope. In the text of the book of Hebrews, last time we read this, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, the same eagerness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. The basic exhortation in this text we've been looking at in this warning is don't give up hope. Hold fast to hope. Let me just read uh, from the end of Hebrews chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. I'm starting with verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience or perseverance inherit the promises. Promises are the things of hope. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, that's the same word we had before, through faith and patience. It's really the word for 
perseverance, for enduring under difficulty. Long-suffering, it used to get translated. Abraham, having long-suffered, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Just like that, I lost my place. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in this paragraph, the writer of Hebrews is coming back to Melchizedek. You remember, he mentioned Melchizedek, and then he said, this is hard to talk about, because you guys aren't listening very well. And then he went through into this warning. And the warning is, press forward in the good news of God's grace in Christ. Cling to the hope of salvation in Christ. And so we have that basic exhortation, persevere in hope. And it's stated in this kind of funny way, but be imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. The promises. What's a promise? Promise is a... Statement of something to be done in the future, something good. A declaration. I will do this, this, and this in the future. And then we come, take this sort of odd turn into the story of Abraham. And it turns out that this turn into the story of Abraham is one of the most important features of all of Christian theology. Because everything proceeds from the promise God made to Abraham. I just want to say that again. When you read the Bible... You come to this promise, it starts in chapter 12 of Genesis, and it continues to the, into this text we're quoting from in Hebrews today, where God swears, and that promise, that Abrahamic covenant, all of the rest of the Bible is the unfolding of God's keeping of that promise. 
Everything else unfolds from there. Now, I think it also, everything before that leads up to it. This is where God says, I will redeem. And he says it to Abraham in the form of this promise. I will redeem. Well, so in this passage, we're noticing that God swore an oath. Well, that hardly seems necessary. If I were going to swear an oath, how would I do it? As God is my witness, or by God. How's God going to... Well, God can only swear an oath. There's nothing above God. That's the point of this text. When God made his promise to Abraham, he says he had no one greater to swear by, so he swore by himself. God swore by himself, and he said, surely, this is the promise, and this is quoting from the passage we read from Genesis 22. This is quoting that passage. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Well, okay, we need to do a better translation, a more literal translation, because this is what it says. Surely, blessing, I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply you. This is the Hebrew way of going, of saying, for real, for real. You know how we do this uh, doubling up of words? Poco, poco. Little, little. Bit by bit. Well, this is the same kind of thing. This is the same kind of thing. Blessing, I will bless. Blessing, blessing. Multiplying, multiplying. And on top of that, God says, and I have sworn an oath to myself. Blessing, I will bless. Multiplying, I will multiply. And he's saying this to Abraham way back. And by the way, this is, we're, we're kind of, sneaking in here to get back to Melchizedek. Because who was it? Melchizedek was the high priest too. You know? Abraham. Abraham. Melchizedek was the high priest to Abraham. And we are pictured in the book of Hebrews in general as the children of Abraham as the inheritors of the promises given to Abraham, which would be especially true if you were a Hebrew Christian. It's true of all Christians. But if you're a Hebrew Christian, it's double-double, blessing, blessing, multiplying, multiplying. Because Abraham is, of course, the father of the Hebrew nation. The nation that is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. You remember when Abraham was made this promise initially. Initially, no children. No children. 
and old. And his, his wife, also old, and they've been married a long time and they never had any children. It was impossible, actually, for them to have children. And so when God makes this promise, the first time they go out and figure out a way to have children without Sarah being involved. Because they figure somehow we got to have some children. Here's what happens when you try to keep God's promises for him. You just mess it up. And that was a big mess up. We are still, to this day, living, excuse me, living with the consequences of that decision. To this very day, in the human race, there is still a conflict between Isaac and Ishmael. Well, Abraham got this promise. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. And thus Abraham received the promise. And then it describes something Abraham did. It says, Abraham having persevered. Persevered. And that is when we might notice that this quotation comes from Genesis 22, which isn't the first time God gave the promise, but this is the time God gives the promise after the sacrifice of Isaac. Now think, Isaac was the child. God had said, it's Isaac. God had said, you know, after Ishmael was born, no, no, Sarah will be the mother of the nation, of the child, of the promise. And so Isaac was born. That is miraculous. Neither one of these people were capable of having children, but they had children, a child. Isaac, the child of the promise, the father of Jacob, who became Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the father of Judah, who was the person of the tribe from which David was born, the son of David being Messiah. Well, Abraham persevered. Abraham, God said one day, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Go to this place. You know what the place is? You know where the place is? It's the same place where they put the cross. The same place. Well, in any case... Uh, they, I, Abraham said, okay, he got up the next day and they went. And he, was, he had the knife. And that's where we broke into the text in our reading this morning where God said, oh, wait, nope. And Abraham looked and there's a sacrifice, a substitute for Isaac. 
And he says, God will provide. And then did you catch, you probably didn't catch this because it goes by pretty fast. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, this is the day when Moses was writing, to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Do you notice it says, it shall be? Not has been? What? What will be provided? The fulfillment of the promise God is making to Abraham. That will be provided on that very spot. And so Abraham persevered. He endured the test, the trial. How did he do that? Well, the scripture tells us exactly how he did this later on in the book of Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, it says, Abraham figured that God would raise Isaac from the dead because God had said it's Isaac. And on that basis, he was willing to make this out. He figured God's got this in hand. He trusted the promise. That's what we mean by persevere here. He persevered believing the promise. He did what? He held on to hope. That's what he did, which is exactly what we're being encouraged to do by this text. Hold on to hope. And so Abraham, it says here, obtained the promise. And then the text goes on to sort of explain why would God swear an oath? Isn't God's word good? Yeah. Well, the text says it like this. <clears throat> People swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes. An oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God swore an oath because people regularly rely on oaths. I give you my word. How good is that? It's as good as my word. And, you know, some people have their words better than others. Some people will give you their word and you, you know better than to rely too heavily upon that. For some people, it's a little more reliable. How do we make it reliable? And apparently, this is a very ancient practice going all the way back to time before Abraham. That's a long time ago. How do we make it sure? How do I convince you that I will keep my promise? I swear to it. That's how. Well, how does that work? Why does me saying I swear to it give you any more Assurance that I'll stick to what I say. Because when I swear to it, the swear has a threat in it to me if I do not keep my word. In fact, typically the threat is death. 
if I don't keep my word, you can kill me. That's basically what an oath is. Or God can. When I swear by God, I'm saying, God, take me if I don't keep what I'm promising you today. That's what it means to swear an oath. It's much bigger deal than we typically mean when we say, oh, I swear. For most of us, when we say, oh, I swear, we don't really mean anything other than I promise. And there's no actual, well, weight added. But when someone stands up to take the oath of office, or when they stand up in court and say, I swear to tell the truth, so help me God, then the weight of the threat is added, and they're saying, it's true, or my life is yours. So that's how, why we rely on oaths, and that's the way the Scripture says it. An oath is how we settle disputes, <laughs> how we settle this promising thing, how we say, okay, I can take you seriously now. When the need arises, we swear an oath. Jesus said, hey, be careful about taking oaths. You remember this when Jesus says this? He's, he actually says, don't be taking oaths. Because when you promise with your life, your life could be required. Well, God, according to this text, was fully determined to demonstrate something. Fully determined. That's the nature of this expression, which we say, which we has which has this in this translation, so when God desired to show more convincingly. In the, in the original text, it's really something like when God had fully, fully, it's literally the word for filling up, when God's determination was filled up, his determination to what? To demonstrate the unchangeable nature of his promise. <laughs> In other words, I will not fail to deliver on this promise, and I will not alter this promise. This is unchangeable. And God wanted us to know it's unchangeable. That's what it means when it says he was fully determined to demonstrate it. Of course God's word is unchangeable. God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't say one thing and then go back on it. He doesn't, he doesn't change. But the point of the oath here is to demonstrate that to us particularly to Abraham, but more than that. He says this, listen carefully now, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we, we who fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Who was this oath-making for? Well, it was for Abraham, but not just Abraham. For everyone who inherits the promise of Abraham. That's who it's for. Everyone. And here, we, Church of Jesus Christ, we are to take strong encouragement from this oath-making God so that we might have strong encouragement by two unchangeable things that demonstrate the unchangeable nature of God's purpose in his promise made to Abraham. Wow. Two unchangeable things. I wonder what those are. Well, it's an oath. So it's the promise, the word given, and the God who swears the oath. Two unchangeable things. His word and himself. It is impossible for God to lie. Who is taking this strong encouragement? We who have taken refuge in Christ. That's who. We who have fled for refuge, it says. Might have strong encouragement to do what? Hold fast to the hope set before us. What is the hope set before us? What is the hope set before us? We uh, are people who trust in the work of Christ, the cross, but that's in the past. What is the hope? Well, it is that that same Christ will finish the job and fulfill all the promise made to Abraham and complete our salvation. Now, I'm not trying to say you're only partly saved, except you're only partly saved. You're completely saved. It's a sure and sure thing and a promise. Because we live in the days of already and not yet. We live in the days where we can look back and see the cross and the empty tomb and know for sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God made flesh who gave Himself a sacrifice for sin who restores me to fellowship with the living God already and promises to complete my salvation when he comes again, when I see him, I will be like him because I will see him as he is. And I too will experience even more fully the resurrection that he has already experienced. Wow. So hold fast the hope 
set before us. Now, the thing we want to notice here is that our hope is tied to God's oath to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, I'm not sure, when he says, all the promises of God in him, that is in Christ, are yes. In the person of Jesus Christ, the life, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession, and promised coming of Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yes. And what we're looking at in this oath to Abraham is the main promise of all the promises of God. In fact, all the other promises of God are only details on this promise. So our hope is tied to the oath God made to Abraham when God said, I swear on my own self. What a fascinating thing that is when we think about the threat of death that hovers over an oath. Because how does God keep this promise? Well, he keeps it by dying. What is the nature of this hope? He goes on. We have this this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have it. We have it. We have it. The, we have hope. We have a forward-looking faith. A faith that counts on something in the future as the anchor of our souls, our very lives are anchored by this hope. The anchor for the soul. Now, I've, there's, I'm a little bit nervous about talking about it because there's actual real-life sailors in our fellowship. That, I did some research about anchors. And I discovered that one of the things you use an anchor for is to keep the ship or the boat pointed in the right direction in a storm. <laughs> I mean, just, just think about that for a second. You use an anchor to keep the boat pointed in the right direction during a storm. I, I don't know what else I need to say. The Lord, our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ will keep us pointed in the right direction during a storm. Somehow the anchor, you know, keeps the boat oriented. Uh, you know, there's physics. It's the certainty of God's promise for the future which is, by the way, grounded on God's work done already. But the certainty of this promise for the future provides stability 
in this otherwise unstable and uncertain life. He calls it sure and steadfast. Sure means stable, certain. Steadfast means unwavering. What in this world is sure and steadfast? There are some things that seem sure and steadfast to us. Here's one. The good faith and credit of name your country. For me, the United States of America. Well, that's fairly steadfast as things go. But it's not indestructible. And it could waver. And in fact, at any given moment, you could look around at the various people that are in charge of things and worry about whether it's really sure or steadfast. At any given moment, that is not a comment on who's in charge at this moment. I'm not talking about that. But you, you could have done that at any phase in the whole history. And you could have done that you know, what some people regarded as sure and steadfast at one time, the good faith and credit of the Roman Empire. As far as I know, that no longer exists. We're all trusting the value of dollars today. There will come a day when we're no longer trusting that. What is the stable, certain, and steadfast, unwavering thing? God's promise sworn to Abraham. That is it. And, by the way, absolutely and completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That is it. This hope follows Jesus. Now, listen now. It says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, this life stabilizer of looking to God's promise, trusting God's promise. Then he says this, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What? Remember, he's speaking to a bunch of Jewish people. What does it mean to enter the inner place behind the curtain? It means to go into the holy of holies where no man can go. Except we've already in the book of Hebrews been invited there more than once. Where we're told that because of this high priest that we have, the Lord Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we do already have this access to the very throne of God. Already we have this, and that is where this hope goes. 
you might ask the question, well, how does this anchor of the soul anchor the soul? The answer is by abiding in the very presence of the living God in Christ by the Spirit. That is how. I have the opportunity, whatever wave or wind is coming upon me to stand in the most stable place that is, and that is the presence of the living God. Because I have been identified with Christ because he has claimed me and saved me. I can take whatever care and lay it on him as the scripture says, because he cares for you. This is utterly stabilizing. Some of you really know what I'm talking about because you have endured unimaginable difficulties in this very way by simply going in behind the veil. This overcomes, this hope is based on the fact that the Lord Jesus has overcome the separation between us and God and made access to God real for me. So this hope follows Jesus. We have a name for Jesus here where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And this is about Jesus being one of us, by the way, a human being. Jesus himself went first. Jesus is the first human being ever to go there. And it is on the basis of his presence as a man standing before the living God in perfect righteousness that I can come with him. And because God Almighty is for me, who can be against me? What wave can crush me? How could I be sunk or steered wrong? How can I be shaken? Well, if I'm there, there's no possibility of it. And so our writer is encouraging us to hold fast this hope. I don't know if you remember several weeks, maybe months ago, we talked about lashing yourself to the mast. You remember the story of, who was it, Homer? They were going to go buy some something he had to stay. So the sailors tied him to the mast. Lash yourself to the mast, the stable Savior, our forerunner, our pioneer, our trailblazer, our scout, the first one in the man Jesus. And that brings us back where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now we're back. (laughs) So we started at the beginning of chapter 6 to take a bit of a detour 
in our discussion of the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus. And he's saying, you have in Christ the fulfillment of the one time when God swore to do something. God Almighty swore to bless Abraham, to make Abraham a great nation, and to make that nation a blessing to all the nations. And that those promises are yes in Jesus. And we are the evidence. We are the group of people blessed by the nation God made by our connection to the Lord Jesus. Wow. So, I can hear the writer of the book of Hebrews saying to that ancient church, where were you thinking of going? You're not still thinking of departing from Christ, are you? No. In Him, we have our certain hope, and we have this anchor of the soul in the Lord Jesus. And so we will hold fast. And we know he's got a hold of us. Father, we give you thanks. Your goodness to us is beyond our imagination. Lord, we need your ministry, the work of the Spirit in our hearts and minds, in our lives, to keep our attention on Christ, to keep us focused on this hope that we have that makes us safe, that keeps us stable, that gives us the power to love people with boldness without worrying too much about our own selves, to follow after our Savior in these ways. Lord, we pray that these things would be more and more real. In Jesus' name. Amen.